The biggest names in Canadian track will all be in one place between July 7th and 10th in a gathering that will likely see some of the best racing that has ever been witnessed in the Great White North. Edmonton is the place and the event, of course, is the Canadian Track and Field Championships pulling double duty as the Olympic trials for this year. With a ton on the line, especially in events like the men's steeplechase, it promises to be a Canadian athletics fan's dream. This week on the show, we chat with a guy who made his name at the Canadian Champs last year in a memorable 1500. Thomas Riva, the reigning champ, joins us a little bit later. Also recurring run pundit, Jeff Costin, chats about what to expect at the big show. Don't go anywhere. This is the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Thomas Ruva has quietly become one of the best 1500 meter runners in Canada. Well, quietly until a very memorable race at last year's championships, where he won the race in a 4.06.19 with a monster kick. He followed that up with a huge PB of 3.37.34 in Belgium later in the season. We caught up with him just ahead of his attempt to defend his title in just a few short weeks. Okay, so Cam Levins, Nate Brennan, CPT. How did you feel about your chances taking a look at the start list of the 1500 meter finals at the championships last year? Um, I actually felt pretty good about it. I mean, when you look at the field and you look at previous races at Canadian championships, most of the time they're not blazing fast. And if you look at how fast everyone's run over 800 meters or you're looking at pure speed of guys in the race, um, I'm right up there with the best, so I figured if it's a if it's a slow tactical race, I've definitely got a shot to get a medal and maybe maybe steal a win. You know, I think it's pretty much a, a prerequisite in the uh, in the middle distances that you have to have a lot of faith in your kick. Uh, since your victory in the Canadian Championships last year, would you say that you've gained a whole lot more confidence in your kick? Um, I think I always had. Uh, quite a lot of confidence in it just as like a more speed-based guy moving up and against more pure distance runners uh, most of the guys would probably consider the 5k as their secondary event whereas i consider the 800 more of my next best event and really i mean last year was really my first year focusing on the 15 so i've really always been more of a speed guy so it's kind of nice to go up and race the guys where you're like you're really confident in your kick and you're confident you're going to be one of the fastest guys at the finish so what what made you uh, make that change to move from the 800 to the 15? Did you, did you just feel it was time, or, or, or what was it? Um, it was always in the cards. It was always a part of um, our long-term plan when I moved out to Victoria. Um, I have good speed, but I don't have 45-point or 46-point speed that's really, really necessary to be a top 800-meter guy. So um, we're always looking at transitioning into the 1500, and last year was the first year where it really, really stuck. So your best run this season came from the from the Hoka One One or One One, uh, whichever it is. Meet with a with a three thirty nine ninety nine. Uh, this following up the three thirty seven thirty four you ran late season in Belgium last year. You know, all things considered, you're not that far off the OQ, the Olympic qualifier of three thirty six twenty. You know, what do you feel the difference is, and and what's it going to take uh, to get you from where you're at to the Olympic qualifier? Um, really, I was looking for just getting in the right race this year. Um, like, like looking at my training, I figured I didn't have to do that much differently, um, in order to get from where I was last year to improve just a little bit to get the standard. Um, at this point, it's going to take a fast race at nationals because it's really, really the last opportunity out there. Well, see, I was going to ask about that. I don't know how uh, how often you listen to this, but uh, I had Taylor Milne on a little bit earlier this year, and he was telling the story of the of the 2008 um, 
the 2008 trials and you know how you know there's a couple of runners just trying to set up pacers and that sort of stuff to as a last ditch attempt to uh to get qualified for the olympics i think it was nate brennan i think he did it you know is that kind of in the cards is that something that you're looking at um it's not something i've really heard of if it's a fast race it's a fast race and i'll go for it but if it's not i'm gonna i'm gonna race to win because it is a championship but I'd obviously love for it to be fast and take another crack at that standard. So you went to school at uh, University of Victoria, and that's produced you know a bunch of notable runners as of late, uh, including that men's cross-country team that took home the banner this year, uh, snapping the Griffins' winning streak, and a whole bunch of medals, you know, individual and relay on the indoor track. What makes that program as successful as it is? Um, I think it's a lot of things, um, really. I guess from my time in the program, part of it was uh, the culture of the team and just like everyone wanting to uh, be successful and everyone putting in a lot of work and really focusing on becoming a better athlete. Um, part of that credit obviously goes to Brent. He runs a great program. And um, yeah, obviously the weather out here doesn't help, doesn't hurt either. It's uh, probably the best place in Canada to train year round. And yeah, I think it's just overall, uh, there's a lot of really, really great things about Victoria. And so it all kind of comes together and you get a huge amount of success. You know, I was going to ask about that. You know, a lot of people make the the trek out to BC in the winter to get their training in. Uh, More oftentimes it's, you know, it's Vancouver, but I would imagine it's probably the same uh, in Victoria. Obviously the weather is a huge part of that, but you know, what makes British Columbia so attractive for those looking to train? Um, You know, obviously the weather helps, but um, there's really two, two good hubs in terms of, um, um, athletes out here. You've got like the BC Endurance Project in Vancouver if you want to be a distance runner. And you got a more middle distance based focus group here with um, the group out of the university and then the Athletics Canada Hub as well. So there's really just a lot of support and opportunity to continue to run out here. So, you know, coming up July 7th to 10th in Edmonton is the championships again this year, uh, which you're entered in the 1500. What are the goals? You know, what, what are you hoping to do while you're there? Um, obviously, I'd like to go back and defend my title. Um, if the Olympic standards in the cards, if it's something that's going to happen in the, the race, then I'll go for it as well. But um, really, the number one goal at Nationals is just to go back and try and defend that title. You know, they, they say that Edmonton is a little bit slower because of the slight altitude and, you know, the way the stadium is and, and how you're exposed to the elements there. You know, what what are your, are your thoughts on that? Uh, as well as, you know, what are some of the more redeeming qualities about where the championships happen yeah i mean there is that slight altitude so it might it might make times a little bit slower in the 1500 but not it's not a huge effect um the bigger thing last year was definitely the wind um it was hugely windy on both qualifying and the final days and that really slowed the races down um but that being said the track is obviously fast it's a fantastic surface and normally they get a good crowd out so those are some some of the more redeeming qualities of uh, of the meet, I guess. You know, I I have to ask because you know, as a track runner, I'm sure that you're also you know a fan as well. And and just taking a look, um, there's been a lot of news. I mean, uh, a few qualifiers in the women's 1500. Uh, you had Rachel Cliff earlier this week, uh, also at a 5,000 Olympic standard. You know, what what events are you most excited to watch at the trials this year? Um, I think the 
the women's 800 is going to be fantastic. Like, obviously, Melissa's way, way out ahead. But then after that, you've got a pack of probably 10 girls that are all really, really close. So that's going to be a really, really good race. I'm looking forward to watching that. Um, men's 3K steeples deep as always. And so are the women this year, actually. So both of those races are going to be good. Um, and then, depending on how standards go, the men's 5K is also looking pretty, pretty good as well. I have to ask because you're out in British Columbia, you know, and there's as as many high performance uh, runners out there as there as there is anywhere. Uh, I'm just wondering when when you're coming up, when you were, uh, you know, training, who were the runners that you looked up to? Um, probably more. <laughs> one of the runners I'd say I look up to is uh, he's not a huge name, but. Definitely one of the reasons I came out here would have been uh, Jeff Martinson. He kind of came mm-hmm. to you through UVic uh, before I did. Um, so I've kind of been, like, almost chasing his time throughout uh, my university career and then, like, kind of looking at his post-collegiate careers and just trying to, like, almost one-up him in, <laughs> in a way. So he's definitely another runner that I, like, tried to um, almost emulate some of that success and try and go, like, one step further. So you you spent a lot of last summer uh, over there in in Europe chasing fast times and stuff. Is is that it, what's in the plans for for the rest of the season? You know, barring that you don't go to Rio, uh, what what are the plans for the rest of the season? Yeah, I haven't um, haven't fully decided yet, but I'll probably make a trip over to Europe at some point. I'm still um, pretty pretty fresh into my season. I haven't actually raced that much, so I'd, I'd still like to crack out a fast time. Um, but I'm not not fully sure where where that's going to be yet. So, Thomas Riva, he is the uh, Canadian 1500 meter champion. Uh, I wish you the best of luck in, in holding on to that title and uh, maybe taking a crack at uh, taking a crack at Rio this in just a few a couple weeks time, I guess. All right, thanks a lot. You're listening to the Terminal Mile at the Terminal Mile on Twitter. With the blockbuster meet just a few away, we knew it was time to bring in the big guns, the master of the track and field hot takes, Jeff Costin. He's our in-house run pundit and winner of the 2015 Scotia Toronto Waterfront Half Marathon. He joined us to chat about what is sure to turn into high noon at the Edmonton Corral. All right, so there's a bunch of, you know, really exciting races to look forward to at the Canadian Championships, but I'm wondering which events will be determining the team slots which ones you know are, are the high stake ones uh i'm thinking maybe steeple right now maybe maybe go through those yeah i think the men's steeple and the women's 1500 are the two distance events with uh four athletes that have standard at that point i believe they're the only ones so they um i, th- I think they'll both be very competitive and have um obviously somebody's going to be left out in both cases I think the women are pretty evenly matched, whereas on the men's side, you have Matt Hughes, who's a Canadian record holder and, um, you know, has, um, you know, is a legitimate world beater. And I I think that will probably be more, that has potential to be more strung out. But I think the women's, you'll see the last 200 because there's, um, there's, there's four athletes with the standard, and then Sasha Gaulish is just off of it as well. And if they have a fast pace, they could be going after that as well. So I think you'll see a lot of athletes packed in there, and it'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Okay, so we were talking a little bit about this, uh, you know, before we started recording here. But uh, 
so one and two are the only guaranteed. One and two across the line um, at trials are guaranteed. That third one is, um, you know, it, it's it's up to the discretion of the of the head coach. Uh, if you look up the criteria, as you mentioned, I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of torn on this because with steeple, there's always that chance that you know someone falls on a hurdle or something like that. So what happens? You know, if if Matt Hughes falls on a hurdle, do you think that that discretion would still land him a spot? It, it's tough to say in the circumstance what the actual circumstances were in advance. Generally speaking, I think that's why they have the trials. Obviously, whoever's most ready on that day should make the team, um, even if it's not. That doesn't necessarily end up being the three people who've run faster, fastest earlier in the season, or the three people with the strongest track records. However, AC has been, obviously, they're pretty adamant on putting together the most competitive team. I do think there may be some extenuating circumstances where you could look at something like that. Like if somebody fell and was totally eliminated altogether, then I I think there might be, as far as getting dropped from the lead pack, there might be something you could look at, but... Ultimately, I think they'll have they would have a very hard time telling an athlete who's run the standard and then gone out there and competed in the top three that they can't go because it's a it's not just the IAAF standard it's a competitive enough standard that running it shows that you're ready to compete at a pretty high level and then once you've gone out in that top three also I think I think it's hard to justify turning somebody down even if that means leaving a runner with a better track record off the team. So something I just wanted to touch on uh, real quick. Uh, you mentioned the women's 1400 and uh, how there's a bunch of qualifiers there or four qualifiers there, uh, plus Sasha Gallish, who's just on the outside looking in. Um, you know, typically these races at the championships tend to be a little bit slower coming down to a big kick. Taking a look at that, who has the notable kick? Who do you think has the, the kick that could land them in the top three in the, in the women's 1500? I think they're all pretty evenly matched, and that's why it's going to be a really impressive race. Um, I would definitely not bet against Sheila Reed at this point. She's kind of gonna, gone under the radar a little bit. Um, hasn't raced a whole lot, but has run well. Has a 4.03 under her belt and seems to be coming into really good form. Um, she also has international experience, so I would bet on her being there and definitely being a factor as the summer goes on. But I think... Um, I think any of those athletes that you mentioned have a good chance of making that team and there's and when there's 200 meters to go they'll all be there okay so you know you, you kind of touched on it uh, you know with Sasha uh, who's just who's just just off that uh, off that time you know are there any events that you see at this Olympic trials where someone could get that Olympic qualifier in the race uh, you know as far as the distances go it's it's tough because at Edmonton, uh, track is a little bit slower but you know is is there a chance yeah the, there's the track itself and then there's that the race is at altitude and it'll be on a very hot day most likely and most likely in tactical circumstances so kind of rhyming off the things that it's definitely the stars aren't too aligned for running really fast especially when most of these athletes have already you know, taking runs at meets in better circumstances where they could try and hit their standards. So I I don't think anyone 
who already has it is going to be going out to push the pace at that level. And uh, it would definitely be cool to see one of the guys who is closer, both um, in the men's 5K, both Justin Knight and Ross Proudfoot have been really close to hitting the men's standard and are in the field. And it would be great to see one of them chase after it. I think they certainly would have their work cut out for them, though. So looking back uh, to 2008, um, you know, in the Americans trial with the 800 uh, at Hayward Field, uh, you had, you know, a bunch of Oregon guys go one, two, three, you know, the place lights up. It was a cultural moment for, you know, American running. Also in 2008, it was worth mentioning too. Uh, I was talking to Taylor Milne with this when he was on the show, uh, the 1500 uh, was also big too, you know, because they had all the rabbits and and they're just trying to trying to get those people to qualify and stuff. Also, I I would say that's probably you know a cultural milestone uh, in modern you know Canadian running as well. Is there any races that kind of have that you know have that uh, I I don't know what you call it. I, I guess an X factor to to become you know the thing that people will be talking about for years. I think there are a lot of really good races we don't have what the uh what the american trials have where there's the same level of competition with athletes that have already hit their standard but i think i think the men's 100 this year is the most depth we've ever seen and has potential to be a really memorable race there are guys like andre de grass and aaron brown and justin warner who are all kind of recognizable names but there's um, there's a huge depth of guys that are running in the low 10s now. I think there are 11 guys on the start list who have run 10-2 or faster at some point this year. So that's going to be an incredibly difficult final just to make it into. And I think it's going to be pretty special to see people lined up for it and see what they can pull off. And they'll be in circumstances where you can run fast at altitude for a sprinting event. So last uh, last question touching on on the trials uh, for the next couple of weekends. You know, potential for another 1500 like last year. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but my um, guest on the first part of the show, Thomas Riva, uh, coming away the champion from that with, you know, a monster a monster kick, beating, you know, Cam Levins and, and beating Nate Brennan and CPT and, you know, all these huge names and stuff like that uh, off of pretty much a jogging pace at the, at the beginning, but really picking up and, and firing on all cylinders at the end. You know, is there the potential for another 1500 like that this year? I would never say never. I think guys like like Landon and Brandon were probably kind of kicking themselves after the fact last year. So there's probably a bit. Last year might have been a bit of a cautionary tale for some of those athletes. They were also. It was also extremely windy. I think which led to that. So it was kind of everything lining up so that things ended up happening that way. But I think I think people are aware of. Uh, of what happened last year and generally speaking don't want to leave things up to chance like that because there's so many variables that you can't control that fall outside of your fitness when it goes out that slowly so I, I doubt we'll ever see another 1500 meters like that but as you know a lot of these races tend to be tactical in nature so I wouldn't predict that it'll be a barn burner from the gun either so you you know in in honor of you know perhaps Cliff uh, Rachel Cliff hitting that with that awesome performance this week getting that five k standard uh, you know I kind of want to take a look back at that over the spring was there was there any surprises with you know the big OQ over the spring uh, you know any great races that that landed deserving athletes with the Olympic qualifier 
I think that was definitely one. Her and Luke Bruchet both um, both had really gutsy races where they had to have impressive closes just to dip under the respective uh, 5K standards. So it's good to see that both of them look like they'll be um, going to Rio now as a result of that. At, I think, yeah, I think those two are the ones that stand out to me. You know, I I would like to touch on you know Romanu. That was that was huge too. I mean, like he kind of had a rough year last year, but but watching him go under was was huge, and and I, I like a pretty feel good story as well. Definitely. Okay, so you know, I kind of want to. I I realize that this is this is something that's been touched on a lot. But I feel like it's it's a topic that needs to be talked about. You know, with a bunch uh, of runners up here under the IAAF um, Olympic marathon standard, including Hannah, who I mean, who's proven herself in the heat at at the Pan Ams last year, taking that bronze medal, and also runners with a huge, I would almost say, unprecedented following, like Watson. You know, with his show, there was tons of people who are following him for who are cheering for him you know is the higher standard the ac is holding these athletes to holding back the popularity of the sport in canada yeah we've we've talked about this before and i think ac's higher standard is part of a bit of a bigger conversation on what the role of ac should be obviously right now their standards are based on the idea that they're trying to win as many medals per dollar spent as possible. And it's not so much about increasing participation. So within that model, it makes sense to have a faster standard because uh, I, I, as you know, many women running in the 230s, they're not likely to be medal contenders. Same with men running in the high two teens or whatever. They are, however, they're leaders in the sports in Canada. They have various influences that impact Canadian running and I, I definitely see a value to sending them but I, th- I think it, it's about the objective that AC has right now and I think people are kind of starting to become aware of this and there might be a demand for a less cutthroat cut I think there definitely is a demand for a less cutthroat approach from AC and you know um, this with with the feedback I've been hearing it might be a bit of a tipping point in how people are reacting to the relationship between athletes and their governing body. Okay, so another topic that's that's really been trodden on lately. Uh, I've seen it in a lot of the mainstream newspapers as well as the, as well as the the running centric sites. Uh, you know the hashtag let Lanny run uh, as far as you know the double with the 10,000 and, and the marathon is concerned, you know whether she can do both. I think I saw a tweet from Peter Erickson. Uh, the AC coach talking about mm, maybe there's a preemptive uh, media campaign to get the media on her side. You know, I'm not I'm not exactly sure, and quite frankly, I think that this topic has been full of hot takes that all kind of sound the same. But I I I don't know. While while competitive running isn't the most popular sport ever, this seems to have caught the attention of everyone. Why do you think that is? I think there are a number of contributing factors. I think part of it's the dialogue that we're starting to hear about AC. And while people, there's always going to be a range of opinions and people may be supportive of it being more focused on supporting athletes it sees as metal threats. I think people see this as such, uh, as 
very devoid of common sense in that it's somebody who, you know, is not taking another athlete's spot off of the line, has earned the right to qualify herself. So, and at this point, the only reason for her not being able to compete would be Athletics Canada's self-serving purpose. So I think people are a little aware of that and uncomfortable with that, that Athletics Canada's approach should be more athlete-centric in how it's working, especially in this um, scenario where she's not really sucking up additional resources to do it. And that's definitely raised some question marks. I also think the communication from AC could have been handled better when it came up. Granted, they were probably taken by surprise that this came to the media. It, they, there, there wasn't a sense that they demonstrated, you know, needing to be accountable to the issue. And I know AEC does a lot of good work and provides support to athletes, but it was very, we'll let you know when we make up our mind, rather than kind of granting some legitimacy to an athlete who's, you know, a Canadian record holder and leading the country in what she does right now. So I, I think people were put off by that a little bit, and they definitely could have handled things differently. I feel like ultimately... She'll probably be allowed to run, but it, yeah, it's definitely been kind of muddy the way it's been handled. Okay, so I know I'm springing on this on you kind of, kind of last minute here, but Galen Rupp looks like he might be in position to do the exact same thing. How do you think that USATF is gonna is gonna handle that? Yeah, I I, I don't have any indication that they won't let him do it. I think I, I I think his coach seems to have a really good relationship with or a close relationship at least, whether you call it good or not, with USATF, so that's probably worth something. And he is an Olympic medalist himself, so it's not entirely apples to oranges. But I think Athletics Canada's approach to this, where they've had their proof of fitness standards which have not been communicated very clearly and seem to be pretty inconsistent across the board, has definitely, um, I don't know if there's any precedent for it in the U.S. or any other jurisdiction, so I, I, haven't, I, I don't think we'll see anything similar with the U.S. and Galen or any of their athletes. Okay, so stop me if you've heard this before, but it's something that's kind of been on my mind as of late. Where is the dividing line for split shorts versus half tights? You know, is it the 800 or is it the 1500 or is it somewhere else? I mean, where is it acceptable to wear half tights and where is it acceptable to wear split shorts? I think if you watch nationals, you'll see that it really depends on the athlete. You could put together an algorithm of different factors, whether racing distance, BMI, personality. I think I think if you're Nick Simmons, I don't know if he's ever run far enough to hit the cutoff but then there's some athletes that religiously wear split shorts regardless of the distance never worn half tights um so it's it's really whatever you can fool yourself into thinking you're pulling off i would say it's probably 800 on average though would you ever run a half marathon in half tights no but i've seen david freak do it several times <laughs> well if david freak has done it then uh and case closed Case closed. It it is the official um, bottom half for for half marathons 
if you're from Newfoundland. Can't argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> now you are a distance biased uh, person, uh, I think. Uh, what race are you, are you looking forward to? You know, uh, when it comes to to nationals and trials in a couple weekends. Yeah, I think we talked about the men's steeplechase and the women's fifteen hundred. The men's one hundred will be very competitive. I think the um, the men's eight hundred will be a really good one to watch as well. Like you uh, like you said, it was great to see Anthony Romanu get under that standard, and he'll race against Brandon McBride, who's been on fire this year mm. um, and has developed quite a strong track record in the past few years. So. The 800 is always a very good spectator event, and I think it'll be a good one, as will the women's with Melissa Bishop being one of the top Canadian athletes that'll be going to Rio, if not the top. So th- those will definitely both be good. I think I think uh, I'm looking forward to the men's 5,000 as well. It's got a very deep start list, and as we talked about, I don't think there will necessarily be people chasing the standard, but with... Uh, with Justin Knight and Ross Proudfoot both running pretty close to it this year, and Boucher and Levins and Mohamed Ed having a, having run under that standard before, I, I think you've got a pretty impressive list of athletes, and it, it'll be a good one down to the wire. Oh, and uh, and in the sprints, you know, the, the ones and the twos and the fours, well, is there anything that you're looking forward to seeing there? I think the men's 100 meter will be the highlight. I, th- I think the 200 will be good too because anything Andre de Grasse does gets a lot of following. I think he's kind of the poster boy for Canadian men's sprinting right now. And um, yeah, but mo- most most of my focus is distance centric. Okay, I do have to ask you just one more question before you go. Uh, you ran that. Uh, you ran the waterfront 10k last weekend. Correct me if I'm wrong. I did, yeah. How tough do you think it would be to do 29 mid there, second part of that question, and follow that up with a 29 low on the track later that night? Well, it would be a lot tougher than running what I ran that morning. But I, th- I think it was impressive to see it. We're talking about Eric Gillis' performance, of course. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, th- I think... It made me want to see what he could run, you know, in a flat 10,000 that he was tapered for because, um, you know, I I think it's been a while since he's run one on the track. And I think that's an indication that he's right there and could probably be pretty close to as fast as he's ever run it, if not faster. But no, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, So he did that in Tristan Woodfine also. towed the line at least for both of them and ran pretty well in the morning so it's cool to see guys trying new things like that he is jeff Cosson and he is our in-house run pundit uh thanks a lot for for joining us to talk about the uh, the trials and, and a few other things as well thank you michael well that wraps up another episode big thanks to thomas and jeff for being on the show tracky for their ongoing support and to you for listening find us online at the terminal mile on twitter and on itunes stitcher tune in and tracky.ca. Best of luck to all who are heading out to Edmonton and shout out to the new Tracky Radio podcast, The Sunday Long Run. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. <laughs>